Daddy. Thank you, Jimmy. We have a video here. Now, this is a little lengthy of a video, but it's worth watching. Hi, I'm Jimmy Scroggins. I'm a pastor in South Florida. And like you, I believe that life on mission really matters. And to that end, we've developed a tool at our church to help our people share the gospel of Jesus with people that they know and people that they relate to every single day. How many times have you been in conversations where people come and they begin to share problems with you or challenges that they're facing? Well, what we want to do is help you turn conversations about problems and challenges into conversations about Jesus and his gospel. And that's why we've developed this tool called Life Conversations. And we do it using three circles. And the three circles looks like this. We believe that God has a design for every single area of our lives. That includes our families, our marriages. It includes our sex life, our money, our career, our work life. God has a design for everything in our lives. The problem is that something about us wants to go our own way. And so very often we depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design, the, the Bible has a word for this. And the word in the Bible is the word sin. And so what we're really doing is we're sinning against God, leaving God's design. Inevitably, when we sin against God's design, we end up in a place of brokenness. And brokenness really hurts. It's real. And all of us can identify that if we're religious or if we're irreligious, if we've been to church our whole lives, or if we've never been to church at all. Everybody understands what it means to feel broken as a result of our mistakes or our choices or the choices of others that have hurt us. When we find ourselves in brokenness, whether that's in a bad relationship, whether it's something that's internal, we're addicted or we're depressed or we feel discouraged or we feel empty or cheap or used, whatever it is, we find ourselves in brokenness. We always want to find a way out. We want to find a way to alleviate that brokenness. And so we begin to go on a search. We do all sorts of things, trying to numb the pain, to escape the pain, to get out of our brokenness. And what normally happens is when we do that, we just get more and more and more broken. What we really are doing is we're saying we know something needs to change. And brokenness always feels like a bad thing, but it's really not a bad thing. In a lot of ways, it's a good thing because brokenness is the way that God gets our attention. And when we're feeling broken on the inside and when things around us are all messed up, that's when we know something has to change. Well, after trying to go our own way and trying to find a way to escape the brokenness, we recognize we really can't change ourselves, but we still know something has to change. And that's why we want to do something about it. The, the Bible has a word for change, and the Bible word for change is the word repent. Well, we want to repent, we want to change, but we realize we can't change ourselves, and we realize we need something else. Well, the Bible has a solution to this problem of brokenness, and it's called the gospel. Gospel is a Bible word. It simply means good news. And this is the good news, that God loves us. And he loves us so much that when he sees us in our brokenness, he doesn't just leave us there. In fact, 2,000 years ago, he sent his own son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life. He lived on the earth, and he never departed from God's design. He never sinned even one single time. He loved people. He cared about people. He stood up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves. He spoke up for people who couldn't speak up for themselves. But one day, when he was about 33 years old, people that he loved took him outside the city of Jerusalem. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and they crucified him. 
And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, God did a miracle. God took the sins of the world, my sins and your sins, and he put those sins on Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. The Bible says after he'd done everything that he came to do, that he died, they took his body down off of the cross, they laid him in a tomb, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the good news, because when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved he could do exactly what he said he could do. Forgive us of our sins. He proved that he was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. And this is the good news. So the change that we really need, we've tried to change ourselves, it doesn't work. The change that we really need comes from Jesus. And so we want to change, and we're going to believe. We're going to believe that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus came to rescue us from our brokenness. And an amazing thing happens. When we make that step, when we come to that moment in our lives, when we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus, God does a miracle in our hearts and he gives us a new power. He gives us a new ability. He gives us something new inside of us that allows us to begin to recover and pursue God's design. What's really awesome about that is no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how deep our brokenness is, that Jesus comes into our lives and he begins to help us pursue and recover God's design from right here, right now, right where we are. And then once we become a believer in Jesus, an amazing thing happens. We begin to receive the blessings of God. We begin to experience the blessings of God. And then God sends us right back out into a broken world where our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and our coworkers, they need to hear the good news of Jesus and we get to tell it. This is the conversation guide. We call it the three circles. And we do it because we believe that life on mission really matters. That is an outstanding presentation that shows how to share the gospel. Now, if you are on the far, if you don't already have one of these and you're on the far left of your pew, you want to see, I just had one here. I had my three circles conversation guide. Here it is. If you don't have one of these or you want more or you want to bring one home, you just if you're on the far left, you want to pull one out and you can pass it down or uh, you can look around. There's, they're, all, they're all here at church. But this is a great way, a great tool that you will be able to share the gospel and actually show someone how to be saved. So that One other thing I want to share, make sure you have your bulletin uh, tonight. Uh, you want to pull it out because we're going to be talking about the seven ways to be glad to see Jesus this Easter. But I want to bring attention to something. Every Thursday, you should receive an email from me. If you don't receive an e email from me on Thursday, you are out of the loop. And you're, you're, you're totally lost. Not spiritually lost, you're just email lost. So what you need to do is we're trying to uh, get up-to-date information. I tell you, uh, Chris, I'm a little loud. Am I loud to y'all? Because so, I would turn myself down you know, just a little bit. So I can, uh, they nodded their head. Uh, fill this out. If, it, now listen, if, if you're getting the emails and all, nothing's ever changed, you don't have to fill this out, but if you're not receiving an email on Thursday, you need to fill this out. And after the service, you need to hand it to me or you need to go to our welcome center and drop it in the black box. And that's a way to communicate with the office. And then we can update your record so that you can get uh, your exciting weekly email from the church. That's a great tool uh, to communicate, I'll tell you a couple reasons we do that. Email's immediate. You can right away uh, uh, discover things going on. And 
postage, y'all know postage is 55 cents? I mean, it's just a lot to mail uh, stuff. It just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. So mailing something to the entire church, just letting folks know what's going on. I mean, it costs literally, you'll spend three, four, five hundred dollars in postage for one mailing when you could just attach it to an email and send it out. So that's another way. Uh, the problem with that is not everybody checks their email where everybody checks their mail. So, okay, open your Bibles. The seven ways to be glad that you are going to see Jesus this Easter. So we're going to look at, uh, this is going to be a sermon today. Uh, really about who Jesus appeared to right before he was crucified. And uh, you need to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. But keep your finger there in Luke chapter 22 because we actually are going to have to turn to um, one other section in John chapter 18. So we're going to be in John chapter 18, Luke chapter 22. When Jesus was, he was denied by Peter after he, remember he was at the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm preaching on this because, you know, we're two weeks from Easter. So it's right around the corner. And what happened, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I preached on that last Sunday night. And what happened from there, well, two Sunday nights ago, last Sunday night was um, a deacon ordination. And Peter, at that point, they went out right when they were leaving the garden, and all of a sudden, here come Judas and the religious leaders with their swords, and they arrest Jesus. And what happened there was, we know uh, Peter pulled out a sword, cut uh, Malchus's ear off, Jesus healed the man right there. Well, in that, then he, he went to go have some questioning, and in that questioning is he appeared before a man, a high priest, named Annas. And his story is only found in John's account. So let's go ahead and read it. So we're going, we're going to go to Annas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, and Herod. And then back to Pilate, who receives the final, uh, cruci- you know, the, the final sentence. So this is all happening in the middle of the night. So th- what happened was, Jesus, after he took the Lord's Supper, that night he went and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And probably midnight, 1 a.m., here comes this army of people led by Judas. And they captured Jesus. And they got him. And remember, the Jews are trying to get rid of Jesus. So even if it's 2 in the morning, we got him. We've we got to take care of this. So that's what we're going to pick up. We're going to go through the process of how Jesus' trial, how he went from praying to his disciples to after he sees Pilate the second time, it's a, that he's sentenced to crucifixion. So that's it. Annas, then he goes to the Sanhedrin. When he goes to, after Annas, he goes to Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, he appears before a high priest named Cephas. Cephas. And then after that, he went to Pilate. After that, Pilate realized he didn't really want to deal with him, so he saw Herod was in town because it was Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. He sent him to Herod. Herod thought this was a game show. He was literally, th- he wanted to see a bag of trip, tricks. Jesus doesn't even say anything. Doesn't say a single word to Herod. And then s- sends them from Herod back to Pilate, and Pilate crucified him. That was the, the process of what happened with Jesus' crucifixion right there. But this is the first one here found in John chapter 18. I want to read it here. John 18, verse 19. This is after Peter here denied. We're in the middle of the denials going on. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Now, the high priest 
what it is is there were an official high priest, and that was a, a, a Cephas there. And what happened, Cephas. And what happened, there was this other man named Annas. Annas had been the high priest a long time, and his time was basically up. He couldn't serve anymore. It's kind of like you're a great president, and you've served your eight years, so you let someone else serve. But everybody still comes to you because they love you, and they want you to help make a ruling. So that's what's going on here with Annas. He's not in an official capacity, but what they're really doing to Jesus is they are trying to get Jesus to say something that they can charge him with the death sentence. So this, this is an intimidation, is what's going on here. The high priest, so these are his questions. He, so we get, it's middle of the night. We get these, this man, Jesus, is in front of me. And so now I'm going to start asking him questions. Here's what he says here. Verse 19, the high priest questions Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I've spoken openly, this is what Jesus says, I've spoken op openly in the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. So basically they're saying, why do you just keep asking me these questions, the same old questions over and over and over again? I'm not going to change my answer. If you want to know what I said, you go ask these folks who hear me. You know, pull the tape up. You just listen to, listen to what I'm saying. Well, when he said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, Give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So what happened here is Jesus just said, You know, I'm, I, we're not, you're not, I'm not going to change my answer. You know, one of the things what happens is when you're, when you're lying about something, not that I would know, but I'm, I bet from other folks who might be liars, if you were lying about something, you could ask the same question three or four different angles. If, say I suspected Sherry was lying. So I want to get to the bottom of what the real truth is. I might come at different angles of asking a question. And go around and say, okay, why doesn't this add up? And what did you say about that? How did they respond? So, because what you're waiting for is for them to slip up or them to say something else. They believed Jesus was a fake. They thought he was a fraud. They didn't like him. So, they did not believe he was the Messiah. So, they believed if I could sit here and ask 100,000 questions, this man at 3 in the morning, eventually he's going to make that one mistake. And we're going to get him. And we've got the presence of other witnesses. Say, so, look, he said it, so we got him. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get him to say something that would be treasonous, that would be blasphemy, something that would cause him that they could bring an official charge. But they're having a hard time with that. All right, now flip back to Luke 22. So we're going to see the high priest. Cyphus here, and what's happening is we're about to see him at the Sanhedrin. Now, who is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling council. The Sanhedrin would be the highest of the Pharisees. They would be kind of like the Supreme Court 
for America. But now remember, they're the Supreme Court for the Jewish folks, but the Rome is still over them. So because Rome rules over this area and they're under Roman authority, they're still limited in what they could do. See, what it is is, here's, here's the challenge, what they have. The Jewish folks, they're not allowed because Rome controls. Rome won't allow the Jewish Sanhedrin to, to perform the death penalty. How? Let's just say uh, the city of Lexington is part of, obviously, the state of Kentucky. Well, if a police officer here arrests you and makes some charges against you here in Lexington city limits, in Fayette County, do they take you downtown to the courthouse? In, you know, it's the city courthouse. We're not, not in state, not in federal. The local city courthouse, and they try you and find you guilty of murder and decide, you, decide to hang you tomorrow. And say, who's doing the capital punishment? The city of Lexington. Does the state allow that? No. That's what it would be like with Rome. They, even though the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, they have in their own laws to they can perform the death penalty, Rome will not allow them to do that. So they know if they're going to get Jesus executed, they have to find them. They have to charge them in their courts, and then get them switched over to the Roman courts where the execution can take, be taken place. So that's what's going on right here. They have to find them guilty with their Sanhedrin and their Jewish court system, and then say, well, Pilate, you know, we've got, a, we've got a real criminal right here you've got to take care of. Because the problem, the reason why the Romans would not allow the Jewish, Jewish folks to allow, perform executions is they could just be executing all of their citizens, and Rome would have no authority over that. So Rome says, no, you're not going to do that. Only we can, we're the master rulers here, we're going to be the one to do executions. So that's, that's, what's go, that's why, what the end goal is, is to get him guilty in the Sanhedrin, which to them would have been easy. And then the harder challenge is get him in Roman court with Pilate and get him executed. So that's, that's the goal they're trying to get to. Verse 63. Now we're going to the Jewish courts right now. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. We're in Luke twenty-two sixty-three. Follow along your Bible. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, this is important that daylight came, and the reason why is because in the Bible, with the, in the, inside not in the Old Testament laws, in the Jewish laws, in their Talmud, and their own Pharisee laws, what they have, is they aren't allowed to have trials at night. So they literally had to just beat the guy, treat him badly, wear him down. Then when daylight comes, then they're able to have their trial. So that's what we see here. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. They said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you would not believe. And, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? See, they're just asking the same old question over and over again. 
And he said to them, you say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony? They said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. And that's, you understand, this was a set up sentence. If Jesus had no chance in the Sanhedrin at getting a fair trial because they did not like him. Now, a couple of things. This meeting, according to their Jewish laws, now this isn't the Old Testament laws, I'm going to put up on the screen here, was actually illegal. And here's why. There's three reasons this was a phony trial in Jewish court system. Number one, no trial could be held on the morning of a feast day. It's not held on the feast day. It's held, it was held on Passover. So in their own laws, they could not do that. They were not allowed to hold this. So this is on Passover. Remember on Thursday night, we had the Passover meal. So God in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, he passed over Egypt. All the first four males that didn't have blood on their, on their doorposts, on their lentils up top, they died. Except for the Hebrews that actually obeyed the Lord and did that. So even the, even the Pharaoh's oldest son passed away. That's the Passover. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights. Well, what happened here is in their own laws, they could not hold a trial on feast day. Number two, there was no formal defense offered by Jesus. I mean, the only defense is, tell us if you're the Son of God. Tell us one more time if you think you're the Son of God. And the answer was, you say that I am. So sure enough, what do they do? They say, you've heard it from his mouth. We've all are witnesses of this. He's guilty. And they knew what their long-term goal was to actually get Jesus guilt, a guilty sentence there in um, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts, and get him into the Roman courts. Number three, the verdict was reached in one day, not two days as required for a capital offense. And his capital offense was that he claimed and professed to be the Son of God. That was his charge against him. Do you know, we see this today. If someone were to go to the courts and say, I'm, <clears throat> and they got arrested for being the Son of God, say a Lexington police officer arrested someone for claiming to be a Son of God, and he had to go appear before a judge, they would laugh. Look at the police officer who says, is this for real? You arrested this man for, because he claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah? We would... Today, this would be a joke. But in Bible times, remember, this is a religious theocracy. God is who their judges in 2,000 years ago in Israel. They were ruled by religious rulers. So that's considered blasphemy for someone in a religious country, such as Israel 2,000 years ago, to go around claiming he is the Son of God. So that's his charge that he's gotten. So now, let's keep moving here. Jesus here, we're, at, we're starting Luke chapter 23. Now we're going to go to Pilate. So we're changing courts. We're moving from Jewish courts to the Roman courts. Verse 1. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. You can just see there was no discussion. They already knew what they were doing. They had a plan against this man. The plan was, this man, it was an easy, quick trial. He, he's a blasphemer. We need to run to Pilate 
and Pilate was in, ta- was in town, Pilate lived in a place called Caesarea Maritime, which is called Caesarea by the Sea. There's two Caesareas. There's Caesarea by the Sea, and there's Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is in northern, northern um, uh, Israel, and that's where Jesus told Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. A giant rock is there. Pilate's palace was on the ocean, on the Mediterranean Sea, in Caesarea Maritime. So what happened, but he, he traveled about 30, 40 miles and came inland to Jerusalem. And the reason he was in town was not because he liked Jerusalem, it was because Pilate's job was to make sure during religious festivals and the religious feast of Passover that everything was okay. And he also knew there were some executions. There were two, a uh, couple of criminals who obviously there were crucified next to Jesus who, um, who he had to go execute. And he also knew that the Jews did not have authority for execution, so these men have just been in prison waiting for Pilate to come in town so he could execute the criminals. Now, I want you to remember this too. The Pharisees, the chief priests, and the scribes, they all knew Pilate was coming in town. They all knew at Passover feast, Pilate, the only executor that the Romans allow, was in town. So that is why there is such an urgency to get Jesus arrested, get his confession, and get him to Pilate that day, and we're going to take care of this guy. Like, this happened fast. Thursday night, he's with his Passover dinner, Passover supper with his disciples. He gets arrested a few hours later. He's in chains, appearing before Annas, now the Sanhedrin, now that morning, this is probably at this point seven, eight o'clock in the morning, on a Friday morning, here he is before Pilate. So here's what's going to happen. Verse one. Then their whole assembly arose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payments of taxes to Caesar. That is a flat out lie. Like they just threw that in there. That had nothing to do. What was his charge? His charge was he, he claimed to be the Son of God. He's, according to this, blaspheming a lot. Where he got this, where they just threw in some bonus charges here against Jesus, opposing taxes to paying Caesar, we never see that in, in the charges that they brought up. But that's what they, that would have been something that would have made appeal to Pilate. And saying that he himself is the Messiah, the king. And that's important because the Jewish folks knew that just bringing this man before him saying, this man's claiming to be the Messiah, that's not an executionable offense. They need something that would oppose the Romans. They need something that would oppose the um, religious, uh, oppose more than just religious leaders. They need, he needs to uh, you know, throw some, uh, something about Caesar, how he doesn't support Caesar in there. So Pilate asked him in verse 3, are you the king of the Jews? And I'm sure there's sarcasm in that statement. Don't miss that. Pilate doesn't believe in Jesus. Pilate thinks these people are religious fanatics. Pilate's a pagan, and he doesn't even like the Jewish people. So here's this guy being a charge, accused of being the king of the Jews. And he looks at him and says, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Pilate then told the chief priests in the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man, meaning this is, there's nothing this man's done. All he's doing is saying he's the king of the Jews. Well, so what? 
But they kept insisting in verse 5. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, where he started even where he started even to hear. So meaning, this guy just goes around. He's a rebel rouser. He goes around causing problems. He's causing trouble in the region. Now, also, Pilate knew that the Jewish people wanted this man executed. He wanted nothing to do. He, Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus at first because he's an innocent man. So now look what's going to happen here. Pilate's going to find out that he's, obviously, he, he hears this, that he's going around in Galilee. Well, Galilee is in northern Israel. Galilee is under the authority of Herod. Now, what's happening here is Pilate's over everything, but this northern authority here is, has the reign of Herod's over this land. Remember, this is the same Herod, the relative that Jesus had to escape and go to Egypt when he was a baby, and then came back after Herod had died because Herod tried to kill or did kill all the babies in Bethlehem within the vicinity of Bethlehem that were two years old and younger. So Mary and Joseph received a dream from the Lord, and they went to Egypt. And then Jesus lived there in Africa for probably a few years and came back. And when he came back is when this Herod came to power. So Herod Antipas was in charge, and Jesus came to Nazareth. And that's where he spent most of his life, in Nazareth, with that. We don't know much about his life there in Nazareth, but that's where he, was, that's where he grew up, and that's where he was raised until he... Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He went to Egypt. He moved from Egypt to Nazareth. And then when he started his ministry at age 30, he went from Nazareth to a place called Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And that was the home base of his ministry for three years. And then he was crucified. So Jesus lived in four places. Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth, and Capernaum. Those were his four homes that he lived in. So in this area of Galilee would be the Capernaum and Nazareth area. That's where Jesus is obviously from, up here. So look what happens here. Verse 6, when Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was Galilean. Finding that he is under Herod's Jewish jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time he wanted to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracles performed by him. This is the same Herod who executed John the Baptist. This is the same Herod that the Pharisees came and told Jesus in Luke 13, 31 that they wanted to, uh, Herod wanted to kill Jesus. The reason why it says here he was quite, he was very glad to see him uh, is because what we're about to see a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Isaiah 53, verse 78, y'all need to turn there, but it says that when Jesus stood before his accusers, he was a sheep before the slaughter. He didn't say a word. Well, look what happened here. And before I read that, I want to share about Herod here. I want you to get the picture of this man. Herod did not care at all about Jesus' authority, 
Jesus being the Son of God. Herod was one of these guys that he wanted to see, look at this, some miracles. It did not matter what Jesus said to Herod. He, he is looking at this man for a magic show. He's looking at this man because he had heard that about Jesus and it was a faith healer and a lot of great miracles were performed by Jesus. There's a lot of Herods around here. Herod is the guy that lives in Lexington that views all these churches and views our church as, you know, that's just a good place for women and children to go to and, you know, have some dinners together and, and maybe help the homeless. They view church as a social organization. We're here to help the community, like let the wild boys on drugs play basketball up here and give out free food and clothes. Like some of us laugh at that. That is a common view among lost people for churches. We are just here to meet societal needs. And, you know, there might be a few neat little things. Have an Easter egg hunt. You know, we'll have an Easter egg hunt here in a um, couple of weeks. And we'll have it out there on the 20th in 13 days. And there'll be all these children that come. And they're going to come here to get our 10,000 eggs. And they're one piece of candy. And probably three-fourths of those people that come to this Easter egg hunt, they will probably never set foot in our church grounds again. Now, they might come at, they'll come to a next year's Easter egg hunt, maybe to VBS, but they're not going to be here at Sunday night worship. They're not coming to Sunday school. They're not coming to Sunday morning worship and start praying for who's your one. Why are they here? They're here for a piece of candy for their children and grandchildren. They're here, for the, they're here for the prizes. They're here for the treats. That's what, that's what Herod was. Herod was one of those guys. Oh, Jesus is in town. Great. I want to see him. I want to see some of his magic tricks. Bring him to me. He was very glad to see Jesus. But Jesus has no desire to talk to those people. Pilate, Herod, I'm sorry, was so prideful and arrogant. It did not matter what. Jesus would say to him, Herod's mind was made up. All this guy is, is a bag of tricks. Now look what happens here. Look how Jesus, Jesus had nothing to say to folks like this. Verse 9, so he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. <clears throat> now, some of your Bibles, it says bright clothing here in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, it says in purple robe and other accounts. You'll see the purple, uh, uh, purple robe over the cross. That's important. That comes from this Bible verse. Herod brought this man in. Jesus is... Not saying a word. He's fulfilling Isaiah 53. They're just accusing him here, making up lies here. He doesn't even, he doesn't even speak up. He doesn't even try to defend himself. What could he say? So then they dressed him in a purple robe and were mocking him. That's what I want you to say. That's who Jesus was. This was a this was a game show to Pilate, to Herod. 
Like, there's, they don't even see the seriousness of this. This guy's a jokester. Anyone who serves a man's head, a beheaded man on a silver platter at a party, is ruthless. That is how John the Baptist died. John the Baptist, the Bible says, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist did something that no one else did. He baptized God. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. Here Jesus is standing in front of the man who just killed his cousin. Here is Jesus who's standing in front of the man who, for his daddy, he had to run to Egypt because his daddy was trying to kill him. Every time we see a Herod in the Bible, all they're doing is trying to kill someone or mocking. In this case, they're mocking Jesus. So that's what's happening here. He dresses him up in purple, and we're making a mockery of this man. Now look at verse 12. It says here, That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had become enemies. Of course, they didn't get along with each other because Pilate was over all the area, but Herod was considered this area of Galilee. They, of course, didn't like each other because they're, they're two different rulers. But because of their unified effort of really just making a mockery and a joke of Jesus, they actually apparently became friends from this event. Jesus took two wicked men, Herod and Pilate, and unified them together on his way to the cross. Now, I want you to pull out your uh, uh, bulletin insert here, because I want to go over these seven things right here. Because something happens in verse 8. In Luke 23, 8, it says here on your bulletin, Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time he had wanted to see him, because he had heard about him, and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. Herod wanted to see Jesus for a miracle. And what did Jesus do? Jesus remained silent. Jesus did perform miracles, but Jesus is not a magic show. He doesn't perform a miracle for the sake of performing a miracle. So how should we respond? If, listen, if Herod is glad to see Jesus, shouldn't during Easter, shouldn't you be glad to come to church and to see Jesus? Shouldn't you rejoice that two weeks from today, we will be celebrating an empty tomb? Shouldn't you be excited that your Savior is alive, that He, he did, went through all these bogus trials for your and I's salvation? He's walking through all of this so we can be saved. Here, let's go through these. This is how we respond with gladness. Number one, you need to begin praying for God to use you to share the gospel or invite someone to church on Easter. Who's your one? Are you praying these next two weeks that you will tell someone about Jesus? Are you looking for opportunities that you can share the good news? Do you know in our church, on this coming Tuesday night with Brother Herden and our outreach ministry, we have a, uh, we're going out visiting. You can meet in the fellowship hall at 6.30 and go, go commit for an hour and a half or about till when it turns dark, probably turns dark around 8. Would you commit for an hour and a half in two days? to meet here in the fellowship hall, and we're going to go out, Brother Herd to have a list of neighborhoods, and we have little cards, and you can go visit some folks. Uh, Sherry and I are going to bring the kids. We've learned that if we knock on someone's door and there's children with us, 
they will open the door. If Chris Wright goes here and he brings Lauren and Thomas, their little eight, six, seven-month-old baby boy, and they're walking down their neighborhood with a stroller, he will get a 100% open rate with a baby and a dog. That's what it takes. You want someone to open the door and talk to you? You bring your grandchildren, your children, and a dog or a bag of cookies. I promise you, people will listen. It's how you approach it. You approach stuff with a smile, and you've been praying and being very strategic. We want to talk to people and tell them about Jesus. There's ways to do that. It's not just about being faithful and saying, knock on doors, nobody answers. You want to knock on doors and be ready to greet someone and engage in a conversation. If they have children, invite them to Easter egg hunt. They don't, invite them to church. Say, hey, we just are in the neighborhood. And you say, what neighborhood do I go to? The best neighborhood is your neighborhood. When neighbors are reaching their neighbors for Jesus, that matters. If you go to strangers that don't know you, it's limited. But if you go in your neighborhood, if I go on Denver Lane and Winthrop Drive and Boston Road, they know us. They know our dog. They know our children. They've seen us before. They'll open the door. That's how, that is church outreach. And why do we do this? We should be glad because Jesus is alive. Are you excited about Easter? We don't ever want to miss an Easter. You don't just do Easter for outreach. Easter's, guys, Easter's about you. You're saved because what's going to happen in two weeks? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We're, what we just read here in John chapter 19 and Luke chapter 23 was the worst thing possible for a man to go through. Jesus is getting crucified. But he will rise three days later. Number two, you need to read the story, the biblical story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. You say, where is it, Pastor? Well, there it is. It's Luke 23 and 24. Every Easter, you need to read the Easter story. I don't mean at church, I mean at home. You need to re be reading your Bible about what Jesus went through every single Easter. Just like Christmas, you need to be reading the Christmas story. You read it to your family, you read it to yourself. Look at this, number three. You need to carry the cross on Good Friday. Je look at this. Jesus died for you at 3 p.m. on Friday, April 19th. Now, that's, that's this month. Um, every year, Easter obviously changes, but in two weeks, or now less than two weeks, on Good Friday, do you know when Sherry and I were growing up, Good Friday was actually a holiday. They didn't have school. We were out of school on Good Friday. That is a day that we are remembering the death of Jesus. It should be a federal holiday in our nation. We're remembering at 3 p.m. something huge happened that day. Well, the story we just read occurred on Good Friday. It occurred that night and early that morning at daybreak, like at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. But at 3 o'clock, Jesus is, is uh, nailed to a cross at noon, and then he hung on the cross until 3 p.m. for three hours, and he died for our sins. Now, I said here, you need to carry a cross. Now, that can look like something for, uh, different for all of us. Hi, here's what it means to carry the cross. We have Miss Peggy Cable here today. Peggy left America and went to Uganda to tell children and prisoners about Jesus, anybody she could talk to. Supporting and praying Peggy is carrying the cross. We, we're collecting the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. When you give to that, you're, sub, you're, you're carrying the cross. You're doing something you normally wouldn't do on Good Friday. You're 
you're going to be intentional and say, if Jesus could carry the cross for me, that cross was for me, I could do it for someone else. Carrying the cross means other-centered. We live in the most selfish culture in the world. Everything is me-centered. But everything we see here about Jesus is other-centered. It's you-centered. It's not about Him. You want to be able to say this Easter, on this Good Friday, God, what can I do? What can I do that advances the gospel? You know, Jesus was carrying the cross, and He couldn't. And He had to, a man named Simon the Cyrene was summoned in the crowd to help carry His cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. He physically, after he was beaten, and with crowned thorn zone, he could not do it. That's what it means to carry the cross. It means you're going to do something for someone else. Number four, you share the meaning of Easter at an Easter dinner. I want to tell you, on Easter, in a couple of weeks, a lot of y'all are going to go out to dinner. You're going to have family come over. Listen, if you're paying for food, if people are coming over and you just cooked a giant meal, you're going to stop and say, we're going to say a blessing. And before we say this blessing, I'm going to tell you about Jesus real quick and why we're having Easter dinner. What is Easter? Because it's not about the Easter bunny. It's about an empty tomb, and if you have lost family members, you use that blessing time, that dinner time in Olive Garden to tell folks about Jesus. Any opportunity to say, hey, why, why are we doing this as a family? Why are we doing this? Let me read this scripture here in Luke chapter 24 just to remind you about the empty tomb. Never miss a meal. Explain Jesus' death and resurrection. Number five, make the cross visible. Look at this. Hang it on your door. Wear it around your neck. Put it in your yard. Upload it on Instagram. Let folks know you follow Jesus. Don't be bashful. Women, you need to wear a cross around your neck. Go to Lifeway and get one of those yard signs and put it in your front yard. Put religious stuff on social media. There's All it is is garbage anyway. Put something good out there on there. Let folks know that, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. Remember, He's the one you're trying to please. Not me, not anyone else. You live for Him. You want to you make your, your, you are visibly present this Easter and proud that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Number six, bring your entire family to Easter worship in two weeks. Listen, you decide on Saturday if you're going to church on Sunday. Did y'all know that? You actually decide when you go to bed on Saturday night if you're going to church. Very rarely does someone just wake up on Sunday morning and say, I think I'll go to church today. Folks who go to church actually make that decision on a Saturday. And you need to make that decision too. That you expect your family, and, and if they're coming over for dinner, you cook it beforehand or after, or do you eat a different time. There's no evening worship in two weeks on Easter Day. But you make it strategic so that folks know this is when, this is that priority for Easter. Number six, seven. You need to give an offering to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Southern Baptists, every year, we collect an offering to support the work of the North American Mission Board. So far, we have raised $3,151.25. Our all-time record was, what, from two years ago, we, we raised, I think, 11000 There's no reason we can't do that. The North American Mission Board supports church planning in America, Puerto Rico, and Canada. 
They go and plant in new churches and do also disaster relief. We have a member of our church who's employed with the North American Mission Board, Miss Cindy Henderson. And her mother's one of our, our widows here at our church. Cindy is the main representative for Puerto Rico. She has already spent like half her year down there. I saw on Facebook she had just came back from after being down there four days. She said, Daniel, anytime folks from Broadway Baptist Church want to go to Puerto Rico really for next to nothing, all you have to do is buy a plane ticket, you can go down there. Anytime you want to go to Puerto Rico on a mission trip. They had a huge hurricane two years ago, and NAM, the North American Mission Board, is going there and ministering to the people. It's opened a huge door. There's no reason we shouldn't be supporting the North American Mission Board. Churches are dying all over our nation. The NAM is intentional about planting new churches and giving the resources. All this three-circle stuff and the stuff in your pews, you know where that came from? It came from the North American Mission Board. That came from Alpharetta, Georgia. They shipped it to us up here. This is our resource evangelism center. When we give to Annie Armstrong, and you give to that generously, you're giving to support their work. Annie Armstrong was a missionary born in 1850 in Baltimore, and she was passionate about missions. She became the first executive director of what we call the Woman's Missionary Union which support the offerings, what we can know as WMU, support the offerings of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and then the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Those are the two Southern Baptist offerings at Christmas and Easter. You should make an Easter gift to Annie Armstrong. You should teach your children and grandchildren about Annie Armstrong. You should be praying for the Our Lady in our church, Miss Cindy Henderson, who, is in, who goes to Puerto Rico about every other week to go down there with NAM and to work with SEND Relief. That's the, the disaster relief response. They go down there and share the gospel to people who've had disastrous things that have occurred. Now, that is how we respond to an empty tomb. Broadway, I want you to see a bigger picture. A lot of times we just think, you know, church is just right here in this building. Church is what we see maybe in Sunday school, and what I do with my group. No. The gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is about missions. The gospel is about being a bold witness for the cross. The gospel is about being proud that there's an empty tomb that you're going to celebrate that's open two weeks from today. Are you glad to see Jesus? Are you glad? Verse 8. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus for a magic show. He wanted to see Jesus for all the wrong reasons. We want to see Jesus because Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is who saves, and it's Jesus who's going to come again one day because He is our Redeemer and He is coming again. This is His church. This, when, we, when we give and go, we're giving to being a part of a body of believers that supports the work of Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight, I pray that we are glad to see you. Lord, so many times we get caught up in the minutia of church. We think it's a building or a class. But Lord, it's so much more than that. Lord, you came and died on a cross for us. And that cross, the, from that cross, a tomb opened up. 
Lord, we thank you for being able to study your word and see how Jesus went to all these different trials and then he found himself on the cross later that day on Good Friday. Lord, I pray this Easter we don't miss Easter. We take advantage of any witness we can of communicating the gospel with other folks. We invite them to church, we give, and we go to missions. Lord, I pray that you bless our invitation. I pray that we respond boldly to what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gene King's going to lead us in a song. I invite everyone to stand up. We close every single worship service with an invitation. If you want to respond, if you want to come forward, now's your time to respond to the gospel. I'll be standing up front waiting for you to respond. Gene, thank you so much for that. Gene's leading our worship. Um, uh, David Dell and Voice of Praise. Where are they playing at tonight? Southern at Southern Heights Baptist Church. So that's where they're at tonight. So they've got a concert over there. So that's uh, where a lot, a lot of those folks are. I want to remind you, it's coming Tuesday night. If you want to join us, we have Easter visitation at 6.30 Tuesday night downstairs in the fellowship hall. Brother Hurd, will you raise your hand so folks see who you are? So they, you know, if you want to, if you want to come, we're having questions, you see Brother Hurd, and he will put you on team. You can go out and just invite folks to church. It's, the, it's that simple. Wednesday night, we'll be back here. We have dinner at 530 and Bible study at 630. Gene, closing song. <laughs>